Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 as we work through the letter to the Corinthians. Paul continues to address some questions that the Corinthians had written to him. That's why we have 1 Corinthians, which, as we've studied before, is actually 2 Corinthians. In chapters 8 through 10, we're going to study about Christian liberty, those, those gray areas that can affect so many lives around us. As Paul mentioned earlier in chapter 6, 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not profitable. Very important for you and I today, as we have so many things vying for our attention and vying for our time. All things are lawful for me, but I will not. Here's the key. Here's the point. I will not be brought under the power of any. You see, a personal relationship with Jesus has set Paul free, but not free to sin. God forbid, Paul said. Paul is going to give more guidelines for proper Christian living as well as being an example of a pure Christian testimony. So as we study these chapters, we might think that these are not applicable to us today, but these verses are very applicable very applicable in this modern day in which we live. Specifically, chapter 8 is going to teach us how to love our Christian brothers and sisters above our own selves, to put their best interests first. This is so key, and I appreciate that about this church. We love one another. We care for each other. We don't micromanage each other. We show grace and mercy, and this is something that we all have to improve on in our lives because nobody arrives until you die to put their best interests first and seek after their own well-being, which is not easy to do because we're very selfish people. All of us in this room, we're selfish. You have to learn not to be selfish. And some people have learned it and some are still working on that. You see, it's another portion of Scripture that teaches us very specifically the true aspect of our Christian walk. Chapter 8, verse 1. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for all you're doing for us, in us, through us. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful rain. It's so needed. Trees are loving it. Bushes are loving it. We're loving it. Father, we thank you. Give us wisdom in uh, taking care of the building and getting things uh, done this fall. We just thank you for the opportunity to serve you this morning by opening your word, your love letter. Pray for your Holy Spirit to comfort us, to strengthen us, rebuke us if necessary. We want to be more like Jesus. So we submit, we surrender, and ask for your Holy Spirit to do a work. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And I have this part highlighted in my Bible. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So important. What about things sacrificed to idols was one of the questions they wrote to Paul about. And here he's answering it. You see, in that day and age, there were thousands of little gods throughout the Roman Empire. And the people would take their food, their meat or grain, for example, and they would offer it to the gods as a sacrifice. They would then take that food, eat a portion of it, and sell the rest of it down at the marketplace. So now you, as a new believer in Corinth, you know that this practice takes place, and you don't know what to do about it. This is what Paul is addressing. Now, we don't find ourselves facing this issue today. I don't think I've ever gone into a restaurant and when the food comes to the table, ask the waiter or waitress, has this been offered to us, you know, is this a sacrifice to an idol? 
Have any of you ever done that? No. So how, is, how can this be applicable to us this morning? Well, as Christians, some of us have been walking with the Lord for years now, and we can look at someone else and consider them immature or weak in the faith. Read that and think about that, because this is reality. As Christians, some of us have been walking with the Lord for years now, and we can look at someone else and consider them immature or weak in the faith. You know, maybe they will stumble over certain movies or certain television programs or certain magazines or certain stores. Uh, maybe it's alcohol or, or drugs or cigarettes. So even though we don't have an issue of things sacrificed to idols, we do have other things that need to be addressed about our Christian liberty or what we call our freedom in Christ. So even though the scriptures might not address every issue specifically, such as watching television, movies, music that we might listen to, there are many verses that imply what we should do about such issues. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and hopefully you brought a Bible. If you didn't, there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Just grab a Bible. It's so important that you learn what the Word of God says. So we're, we're focusing on knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Ephesians 5, 8 through 12 says, For you were once darkness. Notice that. Not for you were once in darkness, you were darkness. And that's me, before I knew Christ as my Savior, I was darkness. I was on my way to hell. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Holy Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And this is really, really suffering these days. And uh, I am happy that the uh, Catholic Church came out and told uh, Pelosi that you cannot be, call yourself a devout Catholic and support abortion. At least they took a good stance. Uh, but unfortunately, our society now is calling evil good and good evil. And, you know, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Don't push your truth on me. Nonsense. Truth is truth. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So for you and I, whatever we have going on in our lives, we need to be asking ourselves, is this acceptable to you, God? It might be acceptable to my mate. It might be acceptable to my coworkers. It might be acceptable to my other family members. But is it acceptable to you? I'm a believer now. I'm a Christian now. I'm to be different. I'm to be light. I'm to be salt. And when I received Christ at 17 years old, I lost all my friends because I became light. And there was, there was just a drastic difference now from the people that I used to hang out with, and they didn't want to hang out with me anymore. I was religious now. No, I loved them and shared the gospel with them, tried to reach them for Christ. But you and I, we have to find out what is acceptable. And, verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That is so important right there for you and I, especially as parents. We've done this. Um, it's very hard on the family, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And sometimes you have to put up healthy boundaries, and people have to leave. People have to get outside those boundaries. Otherwise, there's going to be chaos in the home. And it is very, very hard. And unfortunately, I see many Christians uh, forsaking the church and forsaking biblical doctrine for their children or for their uh, grandchildren. 
that they won't take a stand for Christ and, for, and forsake or possibly lose that relationship with their children or grandchildren. They'd rather lose their relationship with the church, <laughs> which makes absolutely no sense to me, or they'd rather lose the relationship with other believers, which again makes absolutely no sense to me. But that's the days we're living in. So for you and I, we have to evaluate our, our lives as singles, as married, as young, old, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And it, it, it is shameful, but I don't know if you've noticed or not, but they're not ashamed anymore. <laughs> they're putting it right in your face on commercials, on magazines, on walking around, whatever the case may be. They're, we've lost shame. And that's, that's disastrous for any society when you no longer blush that's disastrous. And so for you and I as believers, we need to make sure that we love one another and go to each other in love. Back in Corinthians, so we're not under the law as Christians, but under grace. But this grace given to us by God was very costly as we've studied over the years. It cost Jesus his life so that we might live with him and for him. So Paul starts off this portion of scripture with a comment of knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And in our Christian walk, as we grow in our knowledge or understanding of God, we can certain, uh, we can get certain attitudes about others that are not loving or caring. These attitudes can then carry over into it and I don't care about your walk mentality. I don't care about your walk mentality. And when that happens, where's the love? Where's the agape love? Because we should care about one another. And I believe that is what Paul's addressing here in this chapter. We need to care about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family, and a family is supposed to stick together and love one another. Now, some may leave. They have that freedom to do that. But if they're willing to be with us, if they're willing to repent, if they're willing to grow and mature, we are to welcome them, love on them, encourage them, strengthen them to the best of our abilities. We're to care for each other, looking after the well-being of the whole family. So Paul answers their question about sacrifice with a wonderful principle, knowledge, puffs up. It means to inflate, to make proud. To inflate, make proud, but love, agape, love edifies, to build up, to restore, to repair. And if anyone thinks, verses 2 and 3, that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by God. If you think you have life all figured out and you know God's ways backwards and forwards, be careful. Be careful. You're trending on very on dangerous ground. The more I read and study the word, the more I realize that I just don't know a whole lot. God is showing me something new about his grace and mercy on a regular basis. And Paul is going to encourage the Corinthians to show grace towards one another. Remember the definition of grace? Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. So that's what we're to show one another. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. So when we place our knowledge of God above our love for God or our love for our neighbor, he can no longer use us effectively. We've become religious versus deepening our relationship. We've now become religious. Very, very dangerous. 
We've now become the judge and jury and have all things under control because our great brain, great brain power or knowledge. But when we're humble, even in our learning of the word, when we place our love for God above that knowledge, now God can use us abundantly. We can now bless others with that knowledge and not beat them up with it. You know, it's so amazing to me that some pastors or churches have gained such knowledge. How can we make this applicable to today? They've gained such knowledge that they figured out it's a sin to do various activities. Did you know it's a sin to dance? Under the banner of Christianity, some churches, it's a sin to dance. Uh, it's a sin to wear certain clothes. Ladies are only supposed to wear dresses, not jeans, not shorts, only dresses, or even jewelry. Too much jewelry, that's a sin. You've got to be very, very basic. It's a sin to eat certain foods. It's a sin to honor God on a Sunday instead of honoring him on the Saturday. You see, their knowledge has given them the superiority complex, and it doesn't promote growth, but rather infighting and tearing down the body of Christ. Because there is only one C, one church. Many different denominations, but there is only one church. See, it's wrong, and as we mature as Christians, we need to be careful that we do not fall into that trap. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 8, 4, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. Let's look at Psalm 115. Psalm 115 as we address this issue of idols. If you're turning there, I'm going to read it again, Psalm 115. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. Well, Psalm 115 says this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, So where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. Sounds like the Olympics, right? We have idols today. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. The point, verse 8, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Who are you trusting in? Who am I trusting in? Are we trusting in the government? They're going to get us another check. They're going to take care of us. Is that who we're trusting in? If that's who you're trusting in, then you've created an idol of the government. Are you looking at your mate or your children or your grandchildren or your career or your 401k, whatever it might be? Anything that you put above God is an idol. So as we read this chapter, don't think it's not applicable. It's very, very applicable. Idol worship is huge in America. Uh, we're, we're getting into the sports season, right, this coming fall. And uh, go up to somebody who's wearing their team sport you know, a hat that has their team on it and say something negative about their team and see what happens. Not idolizing that team, are you? 
See, we have idols. We don't like to think we do, but we have idols. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Nothing wrong with having a favorite team. That's, that's, don't go on extreme. I'm not going on extreme. Nothing wrong with having fun and cheering for your team. That's great. Just don't elevate it above God. God needs to be number one. Paul, in verse 5 here, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, he's talking their language. He's reminding them that he knew that there are many so-called gods. Even in our day, there are certain groups that will encourage you to make whatever you want your god or your higher power. Um, yeah, I'll step on your toes. Uh, there was a, a brother who came into my office, and he was a part of AA. And um, I said, you know what, from what I understand, uh, it was a Christian organization in the beginning, uh, but now you can look at that doorknob right there, and you can say, that's my God. Is that true or false? He said, that's true. So then why are you going? Why are you going there? You're not an alcoholic. You're a new creation in Christ. Why are you focusing on the past and what you used to be? Focus on Jesus and worship Jesus. Don't be around a bunch of people that are going to worship doorknobs. Or if you go there, tell them there is only one God and you're going to get kicked out. You won't be asked to come back. But at least then you made a statement, a correct statement. So guys, this is applicable to us today. This is reality, even in our culture. There's only one God. Focus on him. He'll make it right. Verse 6, Yet for us there is one God the Father of whom are all things, and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. See, for us Christians, there's only one God. Even the fallen angels know there is one God. James 2.19 says this, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demons used to worship at the throne of God. It's no big deal for them to, to go, yeah, there is a God. We used to worship him. Then we got kicked out. Did, what, what, the, what are we supposed to remember? You guys remember from last week? What's the enemy's number one tactic? Does anybody remember from last week? Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Deceive. Revelation 12, 9. The enemy wants to deceive us. Any way possible. Any way possible. Be very, very careful. There is a God. If you're here today and you don't believe there's a God... I want to encourage you. God loves you. He cares for you. He sent his son to die for you. He doesn't hate you. He's not mad at you. He wants you to have a relationship with him, but you have free will. So you just heard the truth. If you don't want to accept that truth, that's between you and God. But you just heard the truth. He loves you. He loves you and sent his son to die for you. You have to make a decision about him. He's already made a decision for you. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. So we have two different words here. This consciousness is not the same as conscience in this verse. Consciousness is custom of being used to or accustomed. So these Christians were used to idol worship, sacrifices to idols, and then eating that sacrifice. 
They were used to that. Then the second conscience here is that still small voice that tells you that something is wrong, especially for, an, um, for a believer, the Holy Spirit telling us, that's not right, don't do that. that then that becomes defiled, which means to stain, soil, to stain, or co- to contaminate. So very important there. Remember that as we, as we go on in our study. So it's a, a, your consciousness is something that you've been accustomed to doing. The conscience is that soul, the part of your soul, that, that inner voice that tells you something's not right. Verse 8, but beware, uh, but food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. You know, I like this. It doesn't matter to God what type of food you eat. In other words, you can't make yourself acceptable to God through your eating and through your good works. Remember Peter, when he had that vision in Acts chapter 10 and he was up on the housetop around noon, he fell into a trance and saw the sheet coming down from heaven full of unclean animals. And we read this in Acts 10, 13 through 15. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Um, When the Holy Spirit's talking to you, it's not good to say, not so, Lord. But anyways... (laughs) <laughs> for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. What is Peter saying there? Religious. I'm religious. I'm born again. I've been used of God to win thousands to Christ. But God, let's not forget something. I'm religious. I, I got it together. I haven't eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed you must not call common. And we know this is just before Peter goes to the Gentiles. It's been several years since the resurrection, and the Jews were not going to the Gentiles. There's two groups of people on the face of the earth, Jew and Gentile. And God told, the Lord told them, go and make disciples of the whole world, not just of Jews, of the whole world. So for you and I, we can look at people and we can say, well, I'm not going to minister to them. They're, they're lost. They're, 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 there's no hope. Who, who made us the judge? No, 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 no. no. And, and Peter learned a bit, very physical lesson here as far as it's okay to eat everything as long as we pray over it, but even more specifically a spiritual. So Paul says here that food or any other religious obligation doesn't make us acceptable to God one way or another. I was raised in a church that we had a lot of religious obligations. Um, So much so that if you prayed certain prayers, you prayed them over and over and over again, and you did it for so many days in a row, God was obligated to answer your prayer, whatever that prayer was. God was now obligated because you had done all that hard religious work of praying and praying and praying and praying and day after day. God, you now have to give me what I want. No, no, it doesn't work that way. God's not impressed at all. Verse 9, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. So the Corinthians now have this liberty to eat whatever they would like and not worry about the sacrifice that had taken place to those silly idols who have no power whatsoever. But Paul goes on to say, to be careful that whatever you eat doesn't cause a brother or a sister who is weak in the faith to stumble in their Christian walk. Verses 10 through 12. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, 
Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? So how can we apply this to ourselves as believers? If unbelievers or even believers, young believers, seeing us go to a place that is inappropriate, uh, a sports bar or whatever, we might cause them to have issues and actually stumble. So we have to be careful as Christians what we do in our private world as well as our public world. People are watching, and we don't want to cause an, um, a believer to stumble. Now, we don't want to go crazy because it can get so ridiculous that we start b- being paranoid. Now, mature, mature, the Holy Spirit's going to show you what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. So, you know, like I mentioned earlier, someone will be stumble because you wear jeans when you should only be wearing a dress. No, that Christian needs to mature. They need to mature in the Lord. So we're not going to go crazy and all you ladies have to start wearing dresses. No, 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 no. Balance, balance, balance. Verse 11, And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin, so notice here, the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, if we cause a brother or sister to stumble, that we are sinning. Not them. We are sinning. Sinning. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So in my liberty, I can cause another brother or sister to stumble because of their weakness or immaturity in the faith. But notice that Paul makes the emphasis about knowledge, his and yours. When you have knowledge and cause someone to sin, then you become puffed up and you're not acting in love. That's how it ties in back up into verse 1. When you have knowledge, you know, I know this brother might, I might cause him to stumble by doing something, and I'm hanging around them, but you know, I'm going to do it anyways. Um, You're puffed up, and you're not acting in love. You've got the knowledge, you know it's no big deal, but for this other individual, it's a big deal. And so we have to find that balance in our walk and our love that we take care of one another. And we'll wrap it up with verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again. I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Wow, I have that verse highlighted. That's, that's, not a, that's a bold statement. But Paul just didn't throw it in there so he could brag. That was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Paul was willing to die to self. He shares a very important principle with us here that's twofold. First, I know that certain actions are going to cause someone to stumble. Then I don't need to do that certain thing ever again. Secondly, if I know means that someone took the time to let me know that they have a problem with something. So again, this is where we can't walk around being worried about what everybody else is thinking, uh, per se. But if somebody comes and tells you that, a family member, uh, an acquaintance, a neighbor, now you have that knowledge and now you have to act appropriately. See, when I know something and don't do what I want to do because it may cause my brother or sister to stumble, that's called sacrifice. That's called a living sacrifice. I'm willing to die to self. And here we see that Paul is willing to sacrifice his own desires for blessing of someone else's well-being. Well, what might be a modern-day example? I know there's no Christians idolize things around here, but pretend with me, humor me for a few examples here. 
Let's pretend a Christian woman overfocuses on her appearance. Not that any Christian woman does this. Yet, she cannot afford to go out and purchase what she believes to be necessary items. As a Christian friend, you know that, her situ- you know that about her situation, and yet you invite her to the mall. It's your custom. Remember? Consciousness, it's your custom. I go to the mall on a regular basis. And for some shopping, and then to a Mary Kay party later that day. She knows she shouldn't go because the temptation might be too great, but she doesn't want to appear immature. So she accepts the invitation. She ends up buying some things that she can't afford, and then she feels guilty about it. You've offended her conscience through your liberty to buy things. What a blessing it might be instead to just go out for coffee and spend some time together. Or how about the Christian man who's convicted about spending his money more wisely on his family, yet his Christian friends invite him to go out and rent quads. It's our custom on the weekend. We go out and rent quads. His friends know that his situation at home, but they are more interested in having fun than family responsibility. It's not my family. Let's just go out and have fun. Yet it causes the weaker brother to stumble and put the quads on a credit card, causing him to have guilt and condemnation because of his circumstances. His conscience becomes defiled through our ability as well as liberty to afford the fun. Maybe it would be a blessing to just pick him up after you've already rented the quads. Just bless him. You know, there are numerous examples that we could all come up with, but the bottom line of the whole chapter is this. We are to put our Christian brothers and sisters first, knowing their weaknesses and yet lifting them up in prayer through their weaknesses, blessing them instead of pleasing ourselves. When we please ourselves, read that, think about that. This is a really important principle. When we please ourselves, we've become the immature believer, not willing to die to self by loving the other believer. So even in our strength, it can become a weakness, and now I'm the one that's immature, not the believer that I'm looking down on saying they're immature. No, I'm the one that's immature because I will not die to self and love them. Father, we thank you and praise you for this teaching. It's so applicable. And Lord, there's many things in our lives in these days we're living in that uh, can cause people to stumble. And then there's some things that uh, it's just, it is true immaturity. So Father, I pray that you give us wisdom and discernment in dealing with other believers in loving them and, and talking with them and teaching them and training them and coaching them and helping them to mature, that we'd find that balance in our lives. We would not walk our lives in paranoia wondering who we're going to offend or who we might stumble or this or that, but that we just love, uh, love our brothers and sisters in Christ and allow you to be glorified in and through our lives. Father, we thank you for these days we're living in. Your son is coming back. They're evil days, but Jesus said it was going to happen, so we're not surprised. So, Lord, as we go out into our workplace this week, as we go out into our neighborhood, as we go to our family members, uh, I'm sure there's unsaved people in those groups. So, Lord, I pray you give us wisdom and discernment on how to love them, how to encourage them, how to be a good example, not a self-righteous religious example, 
but just a loving example, caring more for them than what I can do in Christ. All things are lawful for me, but not all things build up. And we don't want to be controlled by something, by sin. So, Father, help us to mature as well, no matter how old we are, that we'll look around, we'll love people, and we'll mature in our faith. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.